We're going to continue in our journey through the book of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 8 today, and you can follow along on the screen or on a, on a screen that's in your hand or a paper Bible, however you want to follow along with us. Um, but we're going to be talking about chaos and disorder today. So happy times, right, today at Hope Springs. We're going to talk about all sorts of chaos and disorder. There's a chaos that is somewhat natural, chaos that comes through a storm in the story, and there's a chaos that is internal that comes through severe demonic possession. So we have an interesting, strange, and very profound passage for us today. But as we do that, we're going to talk about the chaos and disorder that's in our lives. So we're going to pray once again before we start and dive in to God's Word. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and consider for just a moment, where's the chaos in your life? As you pray, as you connect with God, this is some of the most important thing we do here on a Sunday morning. It's for you to just take some time and to connect with God. Where's the chaos? Where's the disorder? Maybe some of you are in a chaotic relationship. Maybe there's some disorder in your head, in your heart. What kind of chaos are you facing? Some of our workplaces are chaotic. Some of our friendships have disorder in them. Our family, our spouse, our kids. Where's the chaos? Where's the disorder? By the way, sing about a, a mighty fortress, and we compare that to you as a place of refuge, a place where we can go for safety and to understand something about the world that we're living in, the relationships that we have. And Father, I pray that you bring, again, your healing, that you bring your spirit, that as we pray and as we look into your word, as we confront the chaos in our lives, that we would know because you're with us that we don't confront it alone, that Jesus, your son, has confronted it, and that we don't have to be afraid because you're with us. So we, I, I pray that you give us some insight as we go through this text. I pray that all my friends here would be thinking about the own, their own brand of chaos, their own form of disorder that they're wrestling with in their own lives, that we might be your disciples and follow you, not running away from the chaos, but maybe running through it, healthier, more connected, more at peace. God, open our hearts by your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so in Matthew chapter 8, picking up in verse 18, and we're going to see that this is after we went through a trio of healings in the last section, Jesus will continue and face some chaos. Look at verse 18 here. It says, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave, gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. I don't know if you've noticed this in our movement through the book, but things are escalating quickly. Jesus' public ministry has begun, and it's going fast and big, okay? There's lots of people are connecting and starting to follow him around, so much so that he does this thing where he goes back and forth. 
we'll find Jesus over and over again in the text, kind of like getting away from the crowds. Almost as if he wasn't out to gather a big crowd. Almost as if the crowds were not the thing that he was trying to do and be about. Because we'll find him, the crowds will come and he'll leave. (laughs) And they'll get big and he'll go somewhere else. And they'll get big and he'll just kind of keep moving. Keep moving around. Keep sharing wherever he goes. Look at verse 19. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Before moving back into miracles, Jesus will interact with a couple disciples here, showing us how he interacts with different people and giving us an invitation to follow him more deeply. Notice that the first is a Bible teacher. He is a super eager teacher. He is, notice that he is the subject of the sentence. He comes on the scene and he gives Jesus the good news. All right? Jesus, the good news is, I will follow you wherever you go. Like, congratulations, Jesus. You have got this amazing disciple that will follow you wherever you go. He has arrived. Jesus responds with, I'm homeless. Did you forget that, like, I just go wherever and stay with whoever? He says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And in the original language, Jesus says, I have nowhere to hang my head. Like, I have nowhere to place my head. I will follow you wherever. Jesus is saying, there there is no no place. There's no place that it is that we're going. We're going to go around, and yeah, there's going to be a place in Jerusalem. Some stuff's going to happen. Death, resurrection, all that stuff is coming. But there's... why, why do you think that it's this great announcement that you're going to follow me wherever you go? The journey with Jesus isn't something to take lightly or tritely. The man didn't know what he was saying. Because the wherever that Jesus is going is ultimately to the cross and to the grave and to the resurrection. Look at verse 21. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, and we see this as super harsh, but follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Another disciple. Notice that both of these people that come to Jesus are called disciples. The, 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 this one is also referenced as a disciple. The flow isn't that following Jesus is impossible for these followers. The flow is that it's going to be really, really hard to follow Jesus. That it is a good journey that's worth taking, obviously, but that it's not going to be easy for the people who call themselves followers of Jesus. The problem isn't wanting to bury someone. The problem is the preoccupation. It is who and what is first. Not that his family is unimportant, because family is always important, obviously. Not that it's not important, but that it is most important. The importance of Jesus, not just teacher, but we already saw him called Lord in the last text. Notice that the guy comes to him and he says, teacher, I'll follow you. And then the next guy says, Lord. Like if he's Lord and if he's teacher, but if he's more than a teacher, it's going to be beyond anything else going on in their lives at this time. Jesus isn't going to be around on earth for for much longer. He's only got a three-year public ministry. So notice that after some healing, we have a couple disciples that come and Jesus says it's really hard to follow Jesus. And then the chaos strikes for the, for the disciples. Look at verse 23. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. I thought he just got into the boat. Like he just crossed over to another place. And now he's going to another place. 
He gets in the boat. The disciples followed him. Do you know how redundant that is in the original language? The disciples followed him. It's like literally the followers followed him. The writer wants you, Matthew wants you to know this is about like following Jesus and how hard it is. Because the text before and this text right now are all talking about disciples. And basically how none of them have any clue about what's going on in the person of Jesus ahead of them. Then he got into his boat, into the boat, and the disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm, in the original language it says quake, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. This is not a joke. It's, it reads like a joke a little bit, right? A furious storm comes up on this lake where storms were known to happen. All, I mean, at a moment's notice, a storm could come up and could sink ships. But this storm comes up, and Jesus is asleep. This is a natural chaos. After the physical and spiritual chaos that Jesus addresses in the last series of healing episodes, where he healed all sorts of diseases, he confronts a natural chaos. Did you hear, have you heard this song or this text, He Never Sleeps, He Never Slumbers, from Psalm 121.4? I remember growing up, I heard a song, He Never Sleeps, He Never Slumbers. It was like a very nerdy a cappella band. You're welcome. Um, but like, so you would say, they would say, He Never Sleeps, He Never Slumbers, except when He does. You know? Except when He's in God in flesh, sleeping on a boat. And He's sleeping on a boat that's going to sink. It's funny and not funny. It's funny because it's like a serious storm. It's not funny because it's like a serious storm. Do you see both at the exact same moment? Look at what the disciples do in verse 25. The disciples went, the followers went, and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. These disciples who have seen crazy things, really wild things, where Jesus healed all sorts of diseases, go to this guy who's sleeping now on a boat and says, maybe this guy can help us. It's all going down. The water's coming into the ship. And like in the original language, again, there's like, this is a staccato, this is only three words. Lord, we see it as like a bunch of words in the English, but it's Lord, save Dying is how it comes across in the original language. The staccato, almost like you're sputtering water, because maybe they were, you know, because the water's coming in. Lord, save us! Dying! We're going to drown. Who needs saving, by the way? We just saw that Jesus saved a leper in the last text. He saved a centurion servant in the last text. He saved a woman in the last text. All people who are on the outside who are considered unequal or less than. All of them. But who needs saving in this text? The followers need saving. The ones in the boat are the ones that need saving. The people who are with him need saving. Has anything changed? Like, is there any less, is that any less true right now? If you imagine this building is a boat, and we're like following Jesus, and we're in a boat. We're in a boat, y'all. And like, the water's, like, do we need saving? The text would say, yeah, we do. The disciples need saving. We need saving. The ship is going down. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to accept that you need help. They had seen others get some help. And look at how awesome Jesus is for helping those po- folks on the outside. Remember the last text, and I'm not going to try to re-preach the last message, but they were people on the outside. And you could look at that and you could say, oh man, Jesus is so good at loving them. 
loving those ones, the ones on the outside, and he is. But the ones inside the boat end up needing as much as anyone else in terms of help. Let me say that one more time. The ones inside the boat need as much help as anyone else. Do you hear me? He replied in verse 26, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Have you, anyone ever watched The Land Before Time? You got some Land Before Time? Littlefoot, do you remember Littlefoot in Land Before Time? Well, this word for you of little faith, it's one word. So in, in, in essence, Jesus is saying, you little faiths, you little faiths, what, what, why, are, why are you so afraid, little faiths? Then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves, rebuked them, and it was suddenly completely calm. Do you remember the faith of the centurion in the last passage? Jesus healed a Roman soldier's servant or son. We were, there was some debate on that. And he healed this person who wouldn't even be allowed past the court of the Gentiles in the temple. And Jesus says about that guy, I've not seen any greater faith than this person's faith in the whole land. All the people who think they're on the inside, all the people, I've not seen anyone who's on the inside like this guy is on the inside. And in the next, in the next story, he's telling the people in the boat with him, his disciples, that they're little faiths. Is it getting your attention yet? Is Jesus getting our attention? The disciples come to Jesus. They ask for help. Why do they have little faith? Faith is about courage. It's, it's one thing to think something. It's another thing to actually act on the things that you believe. And in the scriptures, faith is never just between the ears. It's, it's never something that you're just, it's just my like private, go in a, in a cave somewhere and work out my faith. In the scriptures, faith is on a boat in a storm. Faith is actually walking to Jesus as a leper in like when I should have no business being anywhere near him. That's faith. Faith is not memorizing a Bible verse or going to a church gathering or any, it's, has, it's living out. It is a lived out sense of what's real with God and with you. Maybe they should have known that the ship can't go down with the Savior on it. He gets up, okay? So he's, he's asleep, he gets up. But, but don't let this just, don't, don't just move on quickly. From the phrase, then he got up, and what did he do to the wind and the waves? Rebuked them? You mean he didn't like just like, like pray that God would you know, stop the wind and the waves? You know, he didn't do a complicated religious ritual you know, to, to try to appease whatever gods were in charge of the weather. He gets up and he rebukes in, in another text, in another, in another one of the Gospels, it says, he just says, like, peace, be still. Which is an ancient way of saying, chill out. You know? Can you imagine saying, chill out, to a tornado? I mean, can you imagine saying, chill out, to like a hurricane? Chill out, and it's over. Done. Finished. You don't rebuke something that's more powerful than you. You know? Like, you rebuke something that's lesser than you are, that's lower, that's less powerful than you are. That's the only way you can do that. But Jesus doesn't pray a prayer. 
He rebukes the wind and the waves themselves like you would a pet. Notice that Jesus doesn't address the little face and say, guess what, little face, you're on your own. He doesn't do that. Like he doesn't tell them to come back like the wind is blowing in the waters and he's wiping the sleep out of his eye. You little face. Why are you so afraid, you know? He's like, just, I need a couple more weeks. I need five more minutes. You hang out, get some bigger faith and come back when you're ready. He doesn't do that. The little faiths are not on their own. If you feel like a little faith, this is not some like guilt trip to say, hey, buck up and muster a faith that you don't have. This is good news, not bad news. And the good news is that if you're in the boat and you're a little faith, guess what? Jesus is there too. Jesus is there to calm the storm. He's there to be with you in the storm. We're not on our own. We've seen a, we've seen a retelling of Moses' story. Do you remember? We've seen a retelling of the Exodus story. We've seen whispers of Elijah and Naaman here in Matthew. And here is a crazy, almost comical retelling of Jonah's story. Remember we sang about Jonah here just a minute ago? Jesus and Jonah are both sleeping on a boat. Jonah's presence on the boat is a threat to sink the boat. His very existence on the boat is why the storm exists. That's his story without going too far into it. He sleeps to run from God even into his subconscious. Do you understand me? Like he's sleeping, hiding on a boat, running for his life because he doesn't want to do what God has, him, has for him. Because he's so wrapped up in his own hatred. Jesus' presence on the boat saves the boat. Jonah prays to God. Jesus rebukes nature. Do you see how in every story, in every episode of Jesus, we're seeing a retelling of the Old Testament? And we're seeing all these whispers and nods and winks. And this incredible picture. Look at, look at, how, they, look at how they respond. The men were amazed, of course, and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. In Jonah's story, the people that were on the ship with him were like pagan people, meaning that they had like the sea god, you know? And there was this weird thing where Jonah prays and he's like, well, like, I know the guy who runs all the God. Like, I know the guy who, who runs everything, you know? So when he appeals to Jesus, I am the guy who runs everything. Not just I know the guy, not just I'll appeal to the guy, I am the guy. What kind of a man is this? What a question. What a question. In all three of the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there are three of the gospels that have a lot of the same stories. This episode and the next one are always told together because Jesus demonstrates power over external chaos and a call for courage. But what about the internal chaos? Because it's one thing to talk about a storm, and maybe you've heard a message about the storm, and it's like a metaphor for the storms inside, and it is, right? But what about, what about when the storm inside is just chaos? Jesus will answer that in the next passage. Let's look at verse 28. We've got a little bit more to do today. Look at what it says. It says, when he arrived on the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Do you get it? There's a reason why we teach this text together, okay? I want you to get a sense of the movement of Jesus, right? 
If we just caught it episode by episode, you could be like, oh, this is just like a separate story. But I want you to see that he's going, how many times has he crossed the lake? You know, he's crisscrossing the lake all over the place, going from place to place. And now he goes to a place that he shouldn't even be. He doesn't belong in this area. This region is a pagan, craggy, chaotic, psycho-spiritual chaos. And he meets two people coming from the graveyard that had locked the graveyard down because they were so violent. If there is some place that Jesus should be, this is like the furthest place from it, in a sense. He's in a pagan territory. He's in a graveyard, which is, I mean, you don't, you don't just hang out. In a, this is where Jesus has to go to get away. And yeah, he's got other plans, for sure. But look at where he is. He doesn't belong here, does he? But where does Jesus belong? So violent, no one could pass that way. Jesus will end up healing all forms of demon possession. And I believe the scriptures. And some have used the miracles related to demon possession to claim all mental illness is due to demon possession. That's not what we teach here. And I want to say that before I go forward with this text. We don't teach here that if you're mentally ill, it means you're possessed by a demon. We don't teach that. If you're mentally ill, you need to see a therapist. You need to take medication if necessary. You need to work on your spiritual journey alongside of that. You need to get help. So please, no one ever hear any message about demon possession here as some advocation for not getting help from a mental professional. Please do. Please get help. Okay, so I need to say that. I need to hear me. Does everyone hear me? Can we nod before I go any further? Okay, cool. That's like call and response, right? Old school church gathering. Will you get mental help? Yes, we will. Like, right? That's good. I think we can do that. That's a good thing. Um, there are no easy answers for mental illness. And exactly like we don't invite you to not seek medical attention for physical illness, we wouldn't invite you to neglect medical attention for mental illness. You need help. We all need help to experience health and freedom and beat back the darkness, whatever form it takes. But let's look at what happens when two dudes that are demon-possessed, completely unhinged inside, so violent that no one can come around. What do these people do? Remember what the last question was in the text? What kind of man is this? Right? What kind of man is this? Look at what they say. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? This is an assault. They are shouting. Like you can read this as they screamed it. You're on the other side. Son of God. Do, can, you, let's, can we just be amazed for a second together? That in the last episode, we end with, what kind of man is this? In the next episode, what do you want with us, son of God? The demons are telling the truth about what Jesus is. Is that not amazing? <laughs> that it literally happens right after too? What, what do you want with us, son of God? And then they, not just that, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Is the darkness going to win? Like, the time is running out on the darkness. Do you understand? The darkness knows that the time is running out. 
The demons know. They, they know that their time is coming. Sometimes we live like we're not sure who wins. You know, I live that way. I struggle with that. The demons know who wins. And they're accusing Jesus of judging them before the appointed time. This is, you know, we've seen Jesus teach. We've seen him heal. We've seen all this stuff in his life. And I don't know about you, but when when I'm reading through, I'm like, it's just building and building and building. And then what's the climax? The climax is demons identifying who this person is. The darkness is waging a war that it knows is futile on some level. Do you hear? Can you see? Look at verse 30. Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. Now, if I was writing this story, Sam, like a a screenwriter, a good Jewish kid that's a screenwriter in the first century, right? I'm going to say, we're going to come up with a wild story about Jesus, okay? Now, what do we need? What do we need to put him in a place where he doesn't belong? Well, he needs to cross the lake. He needs to go to like a pagan region, right? And he needs to, I don't know, come across two dudes that are demon-possessed in a graveyard. I mean, that... Oh, and then I know pigs. Pigs. Let's throw some... I mean, you can't get more unclean than this story, okay? It's layers of uncleanness for good Jewish kids in this time and place. Into a herd of pigs. Some commentators think that, like, someone just threw this in here. These are... That someone just threw in the pigs to like convince Jewish people at the time, like he 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 hates pigs too. Like he hates pigs. Look at Jesus, you know? That's not what happened. Like this is so crazy. I couldn't be a screenwriter writing it, you know, coming up with it. It's that crazy. Pigs are the lowest, they are unclean. The demons who had shut out the entire area now beg Jesus. Do you see? No one is asking for this healing. No one is asking for the demon possession to be freed. The demons suggest it in the face of Jesus. And then the one who says to storms, chill out. The one who says, who just whispers peace to a hurricane. He said to them in verse 32, go. Go. So they came out and went into pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Like he does with the storm, Jesus simply says a word to the chaos. People avoided this whole area because of the violence and the danger of these two. And Jesus changes the region with a word. Do you remember one little word will fell him? Like it's just a word. That he says, and the word coming from the person frees these two men, destroys a herd of pigs, and changes the whole nature of an area. The whole herd in the original language includes the demons themselves, by the way. The text suggests that they aren't just driven out, that they are ended. Ended, that their time came. That they didn't even know that their time was up. And it was up. Look at verse 33. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, included what had happened to the demon-possessed men. So they go and they tell 
what? They tell a good, a good news story, you'd think. You would think. A good news story about two men that are not violent anymore, that are freed from their illness, from their possession, that they're, they're freed up, and they're, now they can be a part of society. That's a good story, right? Good news. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, can, you, can you just go? Like, pretty pleased with sugar on top, because I know you have a thing with, like, killing pigs. Like, that's part of their livelihood. The economy was threatened a little bit by what Jesus had done to free these two, de- these two men. Notice it's not, hey man, thanks for helping us with the violent, possessed dudes keeping everyone away from the cemetery. It was like, hey man, could you, like, leave? Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus is a threat to every dark place. And Jesus, if we let him, he'll bring all, all the chaos down. All of it. He has power on earth. He has power on the water. And here he has the keys even to hell, it looks like. He will confront natural and physical and social and spiritual and mental and every other kind of chaos. He will deal with it. So where are you feeling like a little faith today? Where is it that you're facing chaos and disorder? Where is it that you need to hear the word peace? Or the word move? Or maybe both? Where is it that Jesus would speak a word to you today? Jesus is here with a word. A word for all of us. And a word that rescues us from the chaos. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And would you think once again about the chaos? Where is it in your life? might be suffering from a disordered mind, a disordered relationship. I want to speak just real quick to if you're suffering with mental illness, if you need to get help and you're not, I'll go out on a limb and say that the word go is a word to you today. Go get help. Go. Where's the chaos? Where do you need to hear peace? Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to confront the chaos. Natural chaos, physical chaos, emotional chaos, mental chaos, spiritual chaos. Father, we need your help. We are your followers. We want to follow you. We want to to understand that we're your kids. We want to live as your sons and daughters. Mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and employees and neighbors and students that are captivated by your love for us and for 
everyone that we know. But we are on the boat and we need help. We're the disciple who comes to you and thinks that we're giving you good news by telling you we'll follow you wherever you go. And we're the disciples in the boat, terrified of the storm, terrified of the chaos. We're like the men that are enslaved, locked up inside. So Father, we pray that by your spirit, your word, your power, your mercy, your grace, that you would free us to be your children. Show us what our next steps are. God, that you'd speak that word to everyone that's listening, that word of peace. Be still. Be still. To know who controls the wind and the waves and the <coughs> earth and the sea and our lives. To be able to rest. But then also that word to go. To get help. To share our story. To give. To move. To serve. God, make us your followers. We would follow you more closely, that we'd love you more deeply. We pursue this thrilling wildlife of being your kids. God, we thank you for this time and this text. We ask you to send us out by your grace to be your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here with us. If you're giving an offering, there is a box in the back. It's part of your time with God. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.